Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. The prophet writes, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you would, take your hymnals out, and we're going to turn to page 877. And this brings us back to the shorter catechism, questions 98 and 99, page 877. And you know, since we everybody's here and everybody has a voice, Let's just read. Let me read the questions and let's all read the answers together. We might as well use our, um, get ourselves into this as much as possible. So, question 98 What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Question 99, what rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? The whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Well, I won't say this is the word of the Lord, but it's real close, isn't it? Um, You know, when we think about how important prayer is, last week we said prayer is very important. In fact, um, I, I can't remember the picture. I think it was on a book, probably in a book. And the, the book shows Calvin holding his heart up in his uh, hands to the Lord. And ultimately, Christianity is just that. It's holding nothing back in prayer. Uh, but when we come to prayer, as important as it is, as, as important as we said it was last week, is anyone going to hold their heart up in their hands to God in prayer? Is anyone going to say, Lord, teach me how to pray? And we said nobody is going to come to the Lord and say, teach me how to pray because we are separated from God by our sin because of the fall. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're natural men. We don't think spiritual thoughts at all. And so we're not going to be coming to the Lord and praying. So therefore, God must initiate this life of prayer in us God must, as we said this morning, just think about those points this morning. The Word of God, we must hear it read, we must read it for ourselves, or we must have somebody preach it to us so that we can be connected to the Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world. This is the only way we can come to know that second anchor. There's the anchor of the Word that leads us to the second anchor who is the Word made flesh, and that's how God has made it for us. And so Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So this is how God intervenes in our lives. Now, uh, you know, we have the enjoyment of having a math professor in our Bible studies on Saturday. And he likes to use the word algorithm. And we talked about the suffering algorithm a few weeks ago. 
But I would like to say that Paul probably has here another algorithm, and we could extend it and make it very long, but I will give you the gist of this algorithm here in Romans 10, 17, but we have to go back up to verse 14 too. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So the first part of the algorithm is hearing, and then the second part is believing, and the third part is calling on the name of the Lord. You cannot... Put your faith in anything in Christ apart from hearing. So there's hearing, the word, the word of the gospel preached. There's believing in that word that is preached. And then there's calling on the name of the Lord. Calvin calls prayer, this is his, defin, his definition of prayer, the chief exercise of faith. The chief exercise of faith is prayer. Prayer is the chief exercise of our faith. Faith is going to demonstrate itself, and it will demonstrate itself by speaking and talking to the Lord and calling on the name of the Lord. So, have you, before we move to our next point, our first point tonight, going back to last week, has God initiated in your life a life of prayer? Have you called? Have you called on the name of the Lord in order to be saved? Well, second. God involves you in His kingdom through prayer. Now, we're going to reach ahead for a second. We're going to look at what we find in Matthew chapter 6. And it's all in questions 99 through 107 in the Shorter Catechism. God who initiates this life of prayer in us, we will find ourselves in the kingdom of God. And if you're in the kingdom of God, it means that you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but you're in the kingdom of light. I, you know... I don't get tired of saying this. And let me tell you why I don't get tired of saying this. Because it's true. And you need to be able to say this to yourself on a pretty regular basis. You're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You're in the kingdom of light. You're no longer under the prince of the power of the air, but you're under King Jesus who rules and reigns over your life. You and I, we're no longer in a state of sin, but we're in a state of grace. And we need to constantly tell ourselves that truth. We're not here anymore in sin. We're in Christ. It's so important for us to understand. We are saints. Yes, we may sin, but we're not what we were, and we're certainly not where we're going to be, but we're on the way to that wonderful place called heaven. In prayer, Jesus, he teaches us to pray in this kingdom. He teaches us to pray about kingdom things. He says to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Well, there's the idea of a kingdom there. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom will be done, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So you and I, were in a new kingdom as we are brought into the kingdom by Jesus Christ and born again by the Spirit. It means that you and I are renewing our minds. It means that you and I are being not conformed to this world, but conformed to Jesus' image. It means that you and I are putting off the old man and putting on a new mindset. We have a kingdom mindset. We have a mindset that the Spirit moves us into. The Spirit leads us into a life of joy and peace. And the Spirit teaches us to submit to the law of God and to please God and to put to death the deeds of the body in order to follow after the Spirit. So this is where we are. So what is prayer? As we move into this first part of the the answer to the catechism, it says prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will. 
Now that's where the tension is. Have you ever felt the tension? <laughs> you get down on your knees and uh, you're supposed to offer up your desires are supposed to be like his desires, and sometimes maybe they're not, okay? And so there's this tension there that we are to learn to offer up our desires unto God as they are agreeable to his will. So God is training our desires as we pray. And I have to, I'll throw in a little tidbit here. I think Calvin's hard to read a little bit. I think you have to read him over and over to get, to get what he's saying. But one thing about it, if you read the six reasons he says to pray, oh, it's about training your heart to be in accord with God's will. Now, let me give you an illustration of this tension that happens between our desires and God's will or God's desires. Now, back in the old days, when I was, you know, when I was a little boy, <laughs> so there's a few people that are a little bit older than me. But back in the old days, I remember the day when you didn't have to be in a car seat. I remember the day when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. I remember the day when there was nothing over your shoulder. Back in those terrible days when people didn't know any better, and we would sleep in parts of the car that they would just think was horrible. I don't, I don't know if you remember sleeping in the back upper part of the car. But one writer talks, talks about a story when he was growing up. His dad used to sit him in the truck's in the seat with him, and he would put his hands on his dad's hands. And his dad's hands were strong hands, powerful hands. And he would put his hands on his dad's hands. And while his dad was driving forward, those big, strong, powerful hands, he's, he's doing this to his dad's hands, but his hands are so strong that he stays straight. And when the dad starts to turn to the right, the, son, the son's trying to pull to the left, but the dad's hands are so strong that he can't do anything but watch his dad's hand moving to the right. And then when he tries to turn, when his dad's turning to the left, he's trying to turn him to the right. I mean, just back and forth this thing is going. And the whole time the little boy says, I remembered that those hands were so strong that I was never able to overcome the power of my dad's hands. And that's the kind of tension that we experience when we pray. Uh, we're learning to bring our desires in conformity to God's desires. And sometimes the same thing happens to us when God is turning to the right. We want to try to pull him to the left. Or when God's turning to the left, we're trying to pull him to the right. And our hands are not you know, melting in with his hands. And the whole goal of prayer is for our desires and his desires to match. So in order for our desires and our will to become more like God's will and desires, we have to go and see what the Bible says. And one of the things the Bible tells us to do is it tells us to pray God's will, things agreeable to God's will. So if you and I are going to learn to pray things agreeable to God's will, we need to go see what it is, and then we can go and pray those things from our hearts back to Him. In the kingdom, there's, there's kingdom passion here. We are told to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And then we go and pray according to that. Now the scriptures pre, uh, prescribe for us the only way of salvation. And we know that that's God's will. And so there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scriptures prescribe for us the proper manner in which we are to worship. Have you ever noticed, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing a sermon on this in the future. But have you ever noticed that every part of our worship service is sort of like pulled out of the scriptures? We don't make things up. We do what's prescribed by the word of God. And when it comes to prayer, the same thing is to be true. We are not going to make something up. Now, there may be things we need to bring to the Lord and say, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> but when we pray, we're praying 
according to God's prescribed will. So our God who initiates prayer in us is going to bring us into the kingdom and involve us in his kingdom by praying. And what I want to do is I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture tonight. I don't have enough time to give you the third third passage. But turn to 2 Samuel 7, and let's watch people pray according to God's will so that we can see that we are supposed to do this. We're going to have two illustrations of it. But turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, as you turn there, David is talking... He's in his palace with his best friend, the prophet Nathan, who, remember, he points his bony finger at him later on about his sin. But David is reflecting while he's sitting comfortably in his palace about the fact that the ark of God is still in a tent while he's in a palace. And that's just not going to do for David. And so he wants to build God a house, and he tells Nathan that's what he wants to do. And Nathan basically says, go for it. He's the cheerleader. He said, go for it. And so that night, they leave each other, and the prophet goes home. And that night, the prophet has God comes to him and speaks to him and tells him that David is not the one to build this house for him. He's not going to be the one who builds a place uh, for God's, the Ark of the Covenant, for God himself. But what he's going to do, he wants Nathan to go back and tell David that I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to build for you a dynasty. Your kingdom will last forever. So that revelation comes to, to um, the prophet Nathan in uh, verses 5 through uh, 16. And then Nathan goes and we see him tell David that prophecy that was given to him in 5 through 16 in verse 17. So here's what I want to do. Look at verse 11. It's going to be the second half of verse 11. Let's see what it is that Nathan tells David. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So here is God. He's making a covenant with David that he's going to build him a dynasty. He's promising that this dynasty will last forever. When David dies, a son of his will sit on the throne. And this son will build a house for David. We're talking now about Solomon. When this son sins, he is not going to be removed from being the king. But he will be disciplined by the Lord. God promises to discipline him and correct him, but never to take the kingdom away from David and his sons. God promises to David that his kingdom will endure. Now, in God's original purposes as given to Abraham, remember that God came to Abraham and said he would make of Abraham a great nation. Abraham did become a great nation in Egypt. He prospered and he grew, and then the people came into bondage under a Pharaoh, and then God brought them out by Moses. Following Joshua, the Joshua conquest and the time of the judges, then comes the kings. And God's purposes have not changed from the days of Abraham. These promises to Abraham and to the great nation of Israel 
would now find their fulfillment in the descendants of David. David's son Solomon would build this temple for God. But David's son Solomon, as much as God called him my son, he would sin. He would need to be corrected. And we all know what happened in 1 Kings 11 as he sinned very, very badly. But nonetheless, someone will sit on David's throne forever. And that one would be the seed of Abraham through David who would sit on his throne, his father's throne, forever and ever. And so after this passage, after this message was faithfully reported to Nathan, uh, by Nathan to David, we see in verses 18 through 29 that David went in and he sat before the Lord. And basically that means he went in and he started praying. Now let me read to you verses 18, and I, I won't read all of this to you, but let me read to you some of this and let me give you some points along the way. Verse 18, when David the king went in and sat down before the Lord, and he said, and I want you to notice, notice his humility. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? I want you to notice the address. Every time you pray, address our Lord God, he says. Our sovereign Lord we've just sung. Notice the acknowledgement of the Lord's will, verses 19 through 21. And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken. He's talking about the Lord's will. You have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word, there he is referring to God's will again, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. Now he moves into adoration. Verse 22, for this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And then he begins to rehearse in verses 23 through 24. He rehearses God's grace in the past. Listen to this. And what one nation on earth is like your people, Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people, Israel, and your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Then in verses 29, 25 through 29, he just says exactly what the prophet said to him in verses 5 through 16. He says this, What you have said, I want you to fulfill. He's not making anything up. He's not making any new words up even. He's just praying God's will back to him. Verse 25. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. Do it. Do what you have said. When you and I come to pray, how are we to pray? How are we going to learn to put our hands on our dad's hands and let our, our hands melt into our dad's hands and his will? Here's how. Humble yourself and say, who am I? Our Father who art in heaven, that's, that's a God who's way up there. That's a God who's so high, he's in heaven. And so we are to humble ourselves. 
who, who am I? Second, we address Him as our Father and we come to Him acknowledging that He has a will. We come in adoration. You are great. You are a heavenly Father. You're so far beyond us and yet you are a Father so near to us. We are to come to God rehearsing His faithfulness, His past mercies and graces. What We sang it tonight, 460. One of the kids wanted to sing 460, right? You are the one who has brought me safe this far. It is you who will lead me home. It is you who has remembered me. It is you who have provided and protected me and loved me. We're to come to the Lord and pray that His will would be done. David is given a glimpse of the kingdom to come. He sees one sitting on his throne forever. It's not going to be Solomon. And you and I, we have the opportunity to see King Jesus' incarnation as we read the Bible. We see His death and His burial and His resurrection as we read the Bible. And we see Jesus raised and sitting at God's right hand even now. And so we are to pray for the kingdom of God to be done. We're to pray for God's name to be sanctified and the kingdom to come and for His will to be done on this earth as it is being done right now by the angels in heaven. We can say with David, do as you have spoken. Isn't that a great... That's, I love that. That's a little phrase. I'm sure I'm going to get enjoy preaching that later on. Do as you have spoken. That's how we need to pray. We're praying God's will back to Him. And our hands are, are melting into His hands. Well, turn to Jeremiah 29. This is our last passage. And then we'll look at the Lord's Supper. And as we get to Jeremiah, as you turn there, I want to tell you some things that God told Jeremiah not to pray for. <laughs> Jeremiah, don't pray for this. Okay? Jeremiah 7, 16. Jeremiah eleven fourteen, Jeremiah 14, 11, God says, Jeremiah, do not pray for Judah to be delivered from the hands of the Babylonians. Don't do it. It'll be, you'll be uh, praying against my will. Don't do that. Because you see, I am determined... I am determined that Judah fall into the hands of the Babylonians for their sin. Do not pray for the well-being of this people. He let, that's, those are the words from the Scripture. I'm going to send them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Do not pray for that to be changed. And so in verses 4, I'm going to read, start in verse 4 here for a second. But I want to tell you that the contents of verse 4 comes from a letter that Jeremiah wrote while he was in Jerusalem. He's writing it back to those who are in uh, Babylon. He's writing it to the, uh, the uh, elders and the priests and the prophets who are back there in Babylon. This is what he writes, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into, into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So what's he he's telling them the will of God. He's telling them what to pray. Here's what you need to do and here's what you need to pray. God is going to want them to live their lives normally in Babylon. He wants them to build houses and settle down and plant gardens and marry and increase. Pray to the Lord 
on this city's behalf, if you will. Well, following that, in verses 10 through 14, he tells them that he plans to redeem them out of Babylon. So now they're praying for everything to go well in Babylon. And they're also, listen to what he tells them now. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word toward you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So then on the basis of this revelation, God is telling them to pray to for, for God to deliver them out of this place. Now listen to this in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. I'm going to bring you back. What is God doing here? He's telling I'm going to bring them back. But here's, here's one condition. What's the condition? I'm going to bring you back. This is my will. I'm going to bring you back. But he said, I want you to pray that I bring you back. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now see, prayer is not superfluous it's not something that's unnecessary it's something that he wants us to do there's one condition i will bring you back but you have to like what you said last week you have to ask for it right you have to pray for it so what are we to learn from this well you and i we're to learn that god has a plan he has a will he reveals it to us and he wants us to get involved in the kingdom's will by praying that will back to him and all of a sudden, this will begins to become our desires and our hunger and our you know, seeking and loving. And so we walk in these ways and we begin to see the Lord answering our prayers. I've been delighted. I feel ashamed at my age to say to you, more I've prayed for certain things. I see people walk through these doors and they tell me something about them. And I'm going, didn't you just pray for that for four weeks? Didn't you just pray for a Reformed person to walk through the door and a girl walks in and says, well, I go to Grace Reformed Baptist Church or I go to the Grace of this church or whatever, it's Reformed, or she says something. I'm just so delighted. I'm seeing this. I'm, you need to pray these things and see what God does. God loves for you to ask for the things that He's promised to give. He loves to, to answer those prayers Calvin writes that one of the reasons God has ordained prayer is for us to exercise our faith. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And so we are to pray for God's will. I could give you a bunch of these, but I'm just going to give you a few, and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. It's God's will to save sinners. And so what do we do? We pray for them to be saved. And we go over and we give them cards, whether they came to this, this, after this morning or not. We give them cards. And maybe we started a conversation with them. And maybe they have that card still there. Maybe they threw it away. We don't know, but they heard us talk to them. And they know that we're not, we're not, we don't bite. And they know that we're not piranhas. And they, they know that we, we care. We had enough nerve to go over and even ask. So we pray for these people and we give them invitations and we pray that God would save them. It's God's will to build this church. 
Jesus says, I will build this church. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray for people to, to come into the doors. And when they come into the doors, we want to make sure they feel welcome. When, we, when they come into the doors, we're going to make sure maybe they get a call. And we're going to try, like Pastor Mark, not to just wear somebody out. You know, we give people a little bit of space. But we still want to call them, don't we? And so we keep trying. And we know that God's going to build His church. We also know that God wants to sanctify us. It's God's will. If you go read it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification. You and I are to be pure. You and I are to be holy. We can pray for that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what God says to pray for. The children's catechism says this, that prayer is defined as asking God for the things that he has promised to give. So you and I, we can ask all those things for sure. Now, there's going to be things where we sit there and we roll these decisions off to the Lord and we're, we're not going to know exactly what to do. And so we're going to roll our desires off on the Lord and we're going to see where He tells us, to, which way He tells us to choose and how to make wise decisions. But we're praying these things. These are, these are things that we don't have to worry about praying. This is God's will. It's God's will for us to be pure. It's God's will for this church to grow. It's God's will that sinners be saved. And we can add several more to that. We can pray with David, do, do what you have said. Well, tonight, you know what? We get to do what God said. This is what God says. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, this is my will, but you know what he said? This is my body and it's broken for you. Take it and do this. He says, take this and eat. He says, take this and drink. This is his will. Remember him. Feed on him tonight. This is what we're doing. And we're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the future. So if you do not know what we're doing tonight, I'm going to ask that you just think about what God's will is for you. What is God's will for somebody who doesn't know Christ right? Well, it's His will is for you to think about salvation. His will is for you to think about the fact that you need to call on the name of the Lord. Second, if you're here tonight and you're a covenant young person and you've been baptized and you've been raised in the church, this table reminds everyone who hasn't Come to it that, as, as uh, Matthew Henry says, you still have unfinished business with Jesus. I love that, don't you? Unfinished business with Jesus. Jesus wants you to sit at this table and eat and drink with him. So be thinking about that. This is the most important decision of your life. We have many decisions that we'll be making throughout our lives. But the most important decision that we can make in our lives is to do business with Jesus Christ at this table. But for each one of you who are disciples, if you've been baptized, have you made a good confession before this congregation or one like it? Have you made yourselves accountable to a session of elders? If you have, if you love Christ, if you are seeking to live in accordance with His commandments, with devotion for Him, then this meal is for you. So I bid you to come. Jesus has come to the waters and drink. Come to the bread. Come to the wine. He will be here to serve us and strengthen us through this eating and drinking. Let's pray.